pick up at verse 5. Then he answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath? And they could not answer him regarding these things so he told a parable to those who were invited when you noted how they chose the best places saying to them when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who was invited by him comes and say to you, give place to this man. And when you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner, or supper, do not ask your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Father, we bless you, we thank you that it is not by our might or our power, but it's by the Spirit of God. And the church said amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise God. An alley is a narrow passageway between or behind buildings. Have to remind us of that. It's been a long time. Uh, when I grew up in North Philadelphia, there were lots of alleyways. My friends and I would use the alleyway between houses as shortcuts. You never knew when you walked through an alley exactly what you would encounter. What you could be sure of is that the alley would be dirty, that there would be broken glass on the ground, and that homeowners would allow their vines to overgrow the fences, which would narrow the, the alleyway. 
Dogs and cats would be barking and growling or whatever cats do, meowing. And you would, on many occasions, encounter the neighborhood drunk or the person who was abusing drugs because the alley was where they lived. And they were not always excited when their sleep was disturbed. And so you didn't walk through the alley, you ran. That's where I got my speed from, uh, so I could be a kick returner on the football team. I didn't know that I was practicing and preparing for the football team. I just knew that while it was fun and scary at the same time to run through alleys in North Philadelphia, alleys were never a place where you wanted to hang out. If you visit those areas in Philadelphia where I grew up now, most alleys are non-existent. Uh, they had shut the alleys down and built um, in the faces where they were, and so you will not have the luxury of the experience of risking your life running through the alleyways. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, when you plan your vacation for a city, ask your travel agent to make sure that your hotel is near a place that has the most alleys? When is the last time you said, please, make sure where I'm staying, I can look out the window and see homeless people sleeping inside of cardboard boxes and struggling to keep themselves warm or fed. The truth be told, I've never asked a travel agent to find me a hotel, my lovely wife, where we could observe alleyways. In fact, uh, if you go to New Orleans, you're going to cross a lot of alleyways. And, but uh, that's a part of the historical context. I'm visiting there, I'm not living there. Truth is that none of us, if we were totally honest, would want our homes to be next to alleyways like the one I just described in the city of Philadelphia where I grew up. In Luke chapter 14, verses one through 14, Jesus is invited to the home of a very prominent religious leader during that time in history, during the first century, when you invited someone to your house to eat, that was considered one of the highest forms of hospitality. The higher the social standing of the invitee, the greater recognition and hits you would get on your Facebook or your, your Instagram or your Twitter. It was a very kind thing to do to be recognized, to show the kindness of inviting someone to your home. In fact, kindness was viewed as a virtue.
by religious leaders and those who they taught. The problem that Jesus exposed in this parable and chapter, a portion of scripture in Luke chapter 14, is that the kindness the religious leaders were demonstrating was nothing more than for a public show. It was nothing more than to gain attention so that people could think more highly of them than it had anything to do with meeting a legitimate need. In this section of the Word of God, Jesus challenges the religious leaders to take a test that would reveal the true motive behind their acts of kindness. He asked them to show kindness to people who were having in the alley type life experiences. In the alley life experiences. Show kindness to people who are having those types of situations in their life. I want to suggest to you, you don't have to travel to Philadelphia or New Orleans to have an in the alley life experience. Just find yourself sick in need of someone to care for you. Find yourself in a position where you need insurance or some type of housing, and after your finances are evaluated, you're just a dollar above what qualifies you. And if you are in that situation, I want to suggest to you that that could become for you an in-the-alley life experience. Jesus challenges them. And what we will discover is that Jesus does more than challenge them. He says, basically, through his own purpose for coming into the world, Christ said, I did not come into the world, even though I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords, I am the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. I was in the beginning with God because I am God. I did not regard becoming equal with God, something that I had to achieve or grasp or obtain because I existed in the form of God. But when he came, the place where he asked, where he was delivered in the city of Nazareth, he basically, from God's directive, said, take me, take me to the alley. Take me to the alley where people are desperate, desperately in need of real kindness, but are unable to repay those who extend those acts of mercy. Listen at the words of Jesus. Jesus said to his host that invited him, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or the rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. They're not having in the alley life experiences. They will repay you. 
But when you give a banquet, I'm, I'm not just talking about a regular Sunday meal. When you really want to do something that's over the top, when you want to have a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You would be amazed of how a simple act of kindness can have a powerful impact on the life of a person who's going through an in the alley type experience. The modern alleyway people are the migrants that are living in cages on the American-Mexican border. They're sleeping on concrete floors for beds. Men are separated from their wives and children. Many of them have not bathed or brushed their teeth for 40 days. They have been deprived of soap and water. Grown men housed in cages that we wouldn't even put animals. Crowded, where they are basically shoulder to shoulder, standing before cameras and the world, begging for food because they're hungry. They're having an alleyway life experience. And lest we forget, the Apostle Paul reminds us, he said, but for the grace of God, so go we. They are, they are searching out, even as we are having church today, ICE, migrants that some have been here all of their lives, to send them back to deport them. We hear about it, we think about it, but I want you to understand that ICE could be coming after you next and after me. Now let me begin by answering the question that should be obvious, what is kindness? What is it? We send our children to the best of schools and we stay on them to earn the highest of grades. We expose them to the best of teachers and the equipment it's regarding technology, but we have forgotten what kindness is. Our children don't know what it means to be kind. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 21, 22 through 23, and I'm just going to read it and then I'll explain what kindness actually is from a biblical perspective. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. When we were growing up, our parents taught us how to be kind. We didn't have a class on this is how you define kindness. Uh, what kind
kindness meant to our parents was that we were supposed to share with others, treat other people right, don't be mean to nobody. Never be rude or selfish. While our parents taught us well and did their best, their understanding of kindness falls short of what the Bible teaches regarding biblical kindness. Biblical kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. It is birthed from the Spirit. In order for you to have biblical kind, kindness available to you to share with others, you have, to, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that they that have the Spirit belong to God and they who do not, do not belong to God. You must be born of the Spirit. And so one of the fruits, one of the evidences that the fruit of the Spirit is active in your life is that you will be kind. Someone has rightfully said that people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. True kindness reveals that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. Even when you're tired, even when you don't feel like it, the Spirit of God will not allow you to ignore a person who is going through an alleyway life experience. He compels us to respond. Biblical kindness is on full display when we are doing what the Word of God says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, and he says in, God, in the Word, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value or esteem the, uh, the others above yourself. When we esteem, when we seek to serve others first, we are, we are demonstrating that the Spirit of God is working through us by giving acts of service called kindness. When you seek to serve first rather than to be served, you are being kind. Amen. Now the question is, as we're going to see over and over again, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. So when we do it for the wrong reason, we're not really being spirit-led. We're being led by the flesh in order to get credit for what we have done. Biblical kindness is what Christ describes in Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He says, when you give a luncheon, and again, I'm repeating, or dinner, uh, uh, do not invite your friends, etc. And this is not saying you shouldn't ever have your uh, uh, the people that uh, are important to you and nearest to you. What he's saying is you shouldn't only choose those who can give back what you gave to them. Amen. They shouldn't be the only ones on your guest list. Biblical kindness is treating people well in word and deed without strings attached. 
It compels you to meet the needs of people that are having alleyway life experiences without expecting anything in return. You help somebody whose car has broken down. You lift someone's groceries, and you don't need to be paid. You don't need your name on the front of the news journal. You don't have to testify on Sunday morning. I, I, I. Kindness is the outward expression of God's unconditional love. This is how you know the love of God has been poured in your heart through acts of kindness. God is on display when we are being kind one to another. Kindness is the love of God at work through you. Biblical kindness will cost you something. Amen. Somebody said it'll cost. Because people may reject your kindness. I had to make 55 calls to people who had experienced death in their families during this past year. Over more than 1,000 people died just from the services that we provide at hospice. And almost without exception, the first response to the person answering the phone was, what do you want? What are you after? And when you were able to say, I'm calling to see how you're doing since the death of your husband, your brother, your sister. And then it was as if I had given them a million dollars. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't think anybody would remember. Yeah. Yeah. Biblical kindness will cost you something. Be, it sometimes will be rejected because it's so rare yeah. to call and get a, a kind voice, a patient voice. It's rare. Kindness will cause people sometimes to mistake it as weakness. Sometimes we will we resist being kind because we don't want people to take advantage of our kindness. On Friday, I was visiting patients at one of the local hospitals. And I went into the room to spend time with the patient. And I noticed that his bed was empty. And so I found his nurse and I asked her, uh, do you know where Mr. So-and-so is? And she pointed to the man, and he was sitting in a recliner with a sheet partially covering his body, right near the nurse's station, and he was trembling. And so I asked the man, I walked over to him, I sat down, and you could see he was unkept, he had not been shaven, he had not been bathed, he smelled, like someone who had not been bathed in a long time. The kind of smell that all you have to do is sit by the person and the odor is on your clothes. That's the kind of odor this man had. And so I sat next to him and I said, sir, are you cold? He says, I'm freezing. I said, would you like a blanket? He said, a blanket or two? He said, yes, yes. So I, I stood up. And I asked the nurse, where are the blankets? And before she could answer, he said, right there in the carts. The carts were, he could almost reach them with his hand. But because he had suffered 
uh, a stroke, he couldn't lift his arm, and he no longer could walk. So while they were right in front of him, he didn't have the strength to reach them. Surrounded by more than 10 nurses. This poor man was freezing, but not one nurse, not one, asked the man if he wanted a blanket. So I got the blanket, and I put them on the man, and he just began to weep. He said, I'm going to get it together. I'm going to get it. It wasn't his fault that he had a stroke. But he kept saying, I'm going to get it together. I'll walk again. I'll walk again. Nurses are paid to be kind, to be merciful. Surrounded by nurses, freezing, smelling, because he was unbathed. This man, this man was having an alleyway life experience in a multi-million dollar medical facility. He might as well have been in an alley sleeping on glass. Kindness. Kindness does not allow you to walk past someone who is suffering without at least asking how might you help. Now, I keep saying that, man. I said, sir, do you have children? He says, I have three. He has two sons, biological sons, that don't even talk to him. And he's living with his stepson, who is overwhelmed. But he kept saying, I will get it together. I have to. I have to. Now, why should we be kind to others? The first reason is that God has been kind to us. Amen. Amen. In Isaiah 63, verse 7, the word of God says, I will tell you of the kindness of the Lord, David the psalmist speaking, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel. And put your name there. According to his compassion and many kindnesses, God has been good to us. Without strings attached. Christ has been kind to us. You see this in Matthew chapter 9, verses uh, 35 through 36, when Jesus went through the town and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus showed kindness for those who were harassed just because of the color of their skin, because of their lack of income, 
because of their lack of credentials, because of their gender, because of their illness, mistreated, deprived of basic life's necessities, he had compassion and showed kindness for those who were hopeless and harassed. And so the reason we should be kind is because God has been kind to us. And Jesus has shown us kindness when we've been harassed and hopeless. But here's another reason we should be. Because we're commanded to be kind. Yes. In our words and in our works. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4, the word of God says in verse 23 as well, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. When you say something to somebody who's hurting, in season, at the appropriate time, you're directed by the spirit, it heals the brokenness. It can confirm something that somebody's been praying about. And so the Lord tells us in his word that we should, through our words, because the power of life and death is in our mouth, what we say to people can either crush them or bring curing or healing. We ought to be kind in our works. This is the command. Be kind and compassionate. Be kind and tenderhearted towards one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgave you. It's interesting that Paul, as he's being superintended by the Spirit of God, he has to tell Christians, command them to be kind. When a lady actually said this to me. She said, I'm not naturally kind. I'm, I'm, I'm mean. And I'm saying, wait a minute, you're a Christian. How could you? Now I understand. There's a reason why we're commanded to be kind, because it's not our nature to serve. We want to be served. We want to be noticed. We want to be first. That's our nature. That's why when we get married, when we were doing everything for that person, we said we couldn't live without. And now that we got them, One of the first things that exits, exits a marital relationship, and we don't understand, it's so basic, it's so simple, because it costs you really, when it, when it comes down to it, there's nothing more valuable than just simple acts of kindness in marriage. We're commanded to be kind. You are not going to exercise biblical kindness doing deeds and words and, 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 and with your works without strings attached unless the spirit of God is controlling you. But the reason why we do it is because we want to be obedient to God, not because the person deserves it. In fact, the Bible says, love your enemies, pray for them who despitefully use you, and do what? Bless those. Be kind to those who are cursing you who are despitefully using you. That person that gets on your last nerve, be kind. If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he is thirsty, give him drink. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind. One 
to another. A woman was taking care of her dying husband. She was stroking his hair and playing soft music, take me to the king, take me to the king. And then as he looked up to her with the limited strength that he had, he realized and came under conviction about how horrible he had treated his wife. And so he decided that he would begin to confess his sins to his wife. He didn't want to die holding these things. And so he said, I slept with your sister. She said, I know. Continued to stroke his hair, turn the music up a little louder. She said, he said, well, your best friend, I slept with her too. No problem, honey. No problem. I, I understand. I know. And he said, well, my girlfriend, uh, I purchased her a retirement home. And, and then the wife said, listen, honey, you need to calm down. Calm down. Let the poison work that I gave you so you can let <laughs> appeared to be <laughs> showing acts of unconditional kindness. Well, that wasn't real kindness at all. She was killing him softly and slowly for the things that he had done. But when we are helping people that are in the alleyway of life, they have made bad choices. They have ended up in situations that they could have avoided, but here they are, and they need our help. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through my coming, the world would be saved. The world is already condemned. People don't need condemnation. They need salvation. They need restoration. We should be kind because God has been kind to us. Jesus has been kind to us. And God has commanded us. You don't have a right to have a mean night. You don't have a right to treat people unkindly and harshly. Because when you do, you are in sin. You are disobeying the word of God actually had someone say to me, I like for people to be afraid of me. So I'm, I put bass in my voice. And I'm thinking, gorilla face, yep. <clears throat> Show me that in the Bible. Children love Jesus. And he always was welcoming to them. One of the greatest tests of who are the kindest people Watch who your children run to that, watch the people they run to that are not their parents. Children know if you're really kind. And if you're not, they don't want to come to your house. Now, I don't care what kind of hot dogs and potato chips you offer them, they ain't coming. But they'll go to somebody's house who's kind that don't have no hot dogs, potato chips, or popcorn. 
That's what makes children so vulnerable because predators use kindness to lure them. In their innocence, children are very receptive to kindness. I watched a man punch his son. He beat him into the ground. And in that way, he thought he was teaching him to be a man. And whenever someone other than his father would tell him what to do, unless they were threatening to kill him, because he had become used to that type of violence to move him to obedience. And then when he began to come around those who were actually kind at the church, he couldn't understand it. God used the kindness of other believers in the church to bring that young man into a saving relationship to Christ. Now, what does true kindness look like in action? In verses 1 through 14, we're not going to look at all the verses. What Jesus describes are two types of people that come to church every Sunday. The first group is comprised of takers. And the second group is made up of givers. Takers are not kind. Givers, we shall see, are kind. Let me share at least three characteristics and there are more in the word of God that show us what takers look like. Now, it's really important, brothers, because sometimes the people that we choose to marry do not come from kind backgrounds. And they don't become kind just because they got married to you. And they will mistreat their own children and view you as less than a real man unless you are physical with them. And so one of the first things that you want to look for beyond somebody being saved is just the basic. Not the, as they're breathing, yes, they're walking, they go, yeah, 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 yeah. Are they kind? Well, how do you know they're kind? Well, they're kind to me. How do they treat their mother? How does he treat and speak of his father? I don't care what daddy did. You, you, if you say you better get over that, you need to practice forgiveness. And if a person has not got to the place where he is practicing and living by the same forgiveness that he receives every single day, don't, don't be deceived. He ain't going to be kind to you either. Let me share some things in verses 1 through 6. Here's the first characteristics of a taker, a person that's not genuinely kind. Takers are only interested in their own agenda. The Bible says, now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they what? Watched him closely, and behold, there were certain men before him who had dropsy. This person had congestive heart failure. That means that your heart is enlarged, and it's not pumping blood properly and the fluid that normally would be processed through your body is now dis is resting in your abdomen. It's distended. You see people who have congestive heart failure, they actually look like they're pregnant. Yeah. 
in order, to, the fluid is not going to come out unless they have what is called a paracentesis where the fluid is actually drained. And so there was a man at that house who had congestive heart failure, which is an incurable terminal hospice diagnosis. The brother had six months or less to live. When you have congestive heart failure, you're not gonna be here long. Luke, who's a doctor, just gives us this description. And the scripture says, the question Jesus asked as he looked at the man who was terminally ill uh, in, in their presence, and Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now what's interesting is, although the religious leader did a kind thing to invite Jesus to his home, he did it for the wrong reason. The Bible says that they might closely watch him. People that are not genuinely kind are more concerned about rules than they are about meeting real needs. Here's a man in his house that is dying, and they're more concerned about, is Jesus going to break the rule? Now, it's one thing to break God's rule. It's an entirely different thing to break man's rule. There's no way in the Bible that says you can't heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't made for God, but for man. And so what they were, what they were, their agenda was, will Jesus keep our man-made rules? When you are not operating in the fruit of the spirit of kindness, you're going to be more concerned that people came over the border illegally than you are that they left because their Jordans were being raped and they were being murdered. You're not going to be concerned that they're hurting, that they're broken, that, they, that they're desperate. They were desperate enough to walk thousands of miles and risk their lives and come to a place where they know they're going to be in caves and treated like animals. People that are not really kind are more concerned about their own agenda. Told them to be here at 10. They weren't here at 10. I ain't having a party. I know they're going to be hungry when they get here. They can go back where they came from and they ain't eating a thing. It doesn't matter that the, there was a wreck on the road and 10 people died and they were out doing CPR, resuscitating folks. They still got the blood on their arm, but you say you can't come in because the rule was 10 o'clock. I want you to know that you just, in that instance, you're being unkind. Sometimes what we call being disciplined and, 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 and mature is really an excuse for being mean. And inflexible. Aren't you God, man, that God has time for you? That what, you, what we consider an obstacle, God sees it as an opportunity. The woman had an issue of blood. She grabbed the, the hem of his garment. He was heading to Jairus' house. He had an urgent appointment. She was on death. She was on life support. She was breathing her last. And Jairus was saying, come, Jesus, please. And, and he stopped because what would, have been an, what would have been considered an obstacle, this woman who needed a healing, he stopped. And he said, somebody touched me. And the scripture says she was healed and also made whole. But by the time that Jesus got finished healing her, Jairus' daughter had died and he had to say, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. 
just say a word. She, I don't believe she was there, but just say a word. And Jesus was able to speak a word, and Jairus' daughter was healed. What is your agenda? Does your agenda line up with God's agenda? He actually gives an illustration. He said, if you had an ox or a sheep that fell into a ditch on the Sabbath, would you leave it there? Those are all money-making commodities. It's kind of like the driver's ed test. If you're driving and a human being and a dog run in front of your car and you have to hit one, which one would you hit? Unfortunately, a lot of folks would choose the human to miss the dog. Now, you may choose the human to miss the dog, but I want you to understand that God didn't so love the dog, but he so loved the humans in this world that are made in his image that he gave his only begotten son. I'm sorry to tell you that Fido and, 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 and Felissa or Fifi were not created in the image of God, but in, he in men and female and female, he made us like to, like unto himself. I guarantee you, if there are a bunch of dogs caged on the Mexican-American border, like those human beings are, we would be up in arms. president would be impeached tomorrow. Yeah. Our agenda is not God's agenda. When you put things more above people, when you put rules above relationships, I really like what Elder Ward said. If you have rules without relationship, you are breeding rebellion. Rebellion. Takers are mainly concerned about self-ambition, the interesting thing is that they invited, they would invite the most prominent people, or they would go and find the most elevated seats. So, because they were designated spots where the important people sat, and so the goal for 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 going or doing was not to be a blessing to others, but to be blessed by others. It was self motivation. They fasted so people would think they were holier. They prayed in the most public places so people could recognize them. They gave so they could be esteemed in the church as the best givers. Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 6. Their motivation was self-ambition. These kind of people, these are the kind of people that are not genuinely kind of all their takers. And if they can't see how they can benefit from it, they aren't going to do anything for it. People don't come to church to serve, they come to church to be, to, to get, to be entertained. Not saying that everybody's like that, their things, their work schedules and all of that, but it's so easy to go to, you can go to a larger church, it's hard to join a church like this, because you go, you're not, you can't hide nowhere. <laughs> you can't go hide. But if your motivation is to go so you can send your kids away for three hours and you never have to think about them, or you can go and you can hear great entertainment through, the, through, the, through those who are faking it until they make it, the, the praise and worship team, <laughs> then your, your motivation is not to be like God, it's, it's to receive 
self-gratification. That's the time that we live in today. What's in it for me? Oh, I'll help if, uh, what's the, if, if uh, what? Time to clean up. We've been finished an activity. Who's hanging around? Well, the activity's over. <laughs> I got to get home. My kids wait for me. Okay, were they waiting for you before you enjoyed the activity? <laughs> if you can't see a direct benefit from yourself, for yourself, people don't participate. But the word of God says, put the interests of others. Jesus said, I came to serve. Serving does not define who I am. I've come from the Father. I'm going back. He knows my name. My value is not determined by, the, by, by my credentials or the station of life that I have based on where I work. My credentials, my quality is determined by him who says I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Whether I'm washing feet or cleaning toilets. Takers avoid people that have alleyway experiences. Jesus has to say in verses 12 through 13, I'm giving you an assignment. Add to your guest list. These are people that you would not include. The maimed, the lame, the broken, the addicted, the disenfranchised, the overlooked, those who lack self-esteem, the weak, the poor, put them on Those are the kind of people that takers avoid. They pray for you, but don't tell them you're hungry. <laughs> God will get it. God will take care of it. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. They're not going to call you. They're not going to visit you. But when you come back to church, they're going to tell you, you know what, I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. Oh, girl, I'm so glad you're here now. Not one visit. Not one Kleenex. Not one simple cup of water. Not a single phone call. Takers avoid those who have real needs. And I see this over and over again in families. When somebody's dying, it ends up being one person in the family. The lady that had 13 kids, where the rest of those, those critters? 12 of them. And one is, is willing to do what it takes to make sure the need is met. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? <laughs> The man who'd been overtaken by Robert, he's laying in the road, bleeding and dead, clothes stripped. He, he, he's dying. And, and the pastor and the deacons, they, they come by the same Jericho road. He's on 95, lying in a ditch. And they see him, and they pull over and roll down their, uh, their, 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 their Lexuses. I ain't going to say BMW, but roll down their Lexus window. <laughs> he sure look bad. It really don't look like he's going to make it. I don't know what his respirations are. And, Man, if somebody don't put a tourniquet on that, man, is he hard to look at that? Well, that's about to mess up my lunch dinner, my lunch and dinner. They didn't make a call. They didn't call 911. 
They didn't offer any services. They didn't ask the man what help. But they were, they were heading to church to preach about caring and kindness and love and, and how God uh, made the ultimate sacrifice. But they weren't making the ultimate sacrifice just by being kind. Takers avoid people that are having alleyway life experiences. Now let's finish with, with uh, givers. What, what are givers like? People that give for the right reason. I actually talked to a lady. She said uh, when her husband came, became sick, he had treated her so bad for so long, she said, I made up my mind. I will show him how a Christian woman can be kind. Like the diary of an angry black woman, she pushes the brother into the, the pool and, and leaves him in the wheelchair. So her motive was to prove to him that she was more spiritual than he, but she, she really was only being kind out of spite and human will. Then she said, later I decided that I would be kind to him so he could continue to send child support for the children. Now, it was good that the money was coming for the children, but her reason for being kind fell short of the command of the word of God. You should be kind because the Lord commands us to. You should be kind because if you're not kind, you're being mean, and if you're being mean, you can't forgive. It has a snowball domino effect. You can't be forgiving. You, you might as well sit your butt down talking about you love the Lord, how great they are, and you, got, you shouting all around. You better be careful before you trip and break something. You can be kind for the wrong reason. But kindness, let's look at verse 12. Come back to verse 12 with me again. Are you there? Then he also said to them who invited him, when you, say when you. When you. Kindness is personal. It's personal. You can look around the circle and wait for somebody else and when they going to jump in, what they going to do. I, I, I see uh, that that person is hurting and I, I know that the pastor went to sin. No, 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 it's personal. When you. It's so personal that it should start at home. How are you going to be kind to somebody else's wife if you're not even kind to your own? You're mistreating your own children. Call them all kinds of names. They don't even know when to come. You can call them so they don't even got their real name. Kindness is personal when you open up your home, when God puts something on your heart. Yes. Kindness is particular. By that I mean it's intentional. It selects and purposely seeks out opportunities to bless people who are having alleyway life experiences. He said, go for the lame, go for the poor, go for those who can't repay you. In particular, look for those who are in the church who are hurting. Look for the senior citizen who never gets a call. The only time they hear somebody calling is a robocall. You know how we like those calls. That college student that's away from their family, invite them. That person that comes to our church and we call them a guest and they come for weeks and then they're gone and we don't know why. It's not that we're not calling and reaching out, but sometimes it requires another step. Opening up our homes. It's, it's, it's particular. 
Tay is particular. It's visiting these senior citizen homes and these women and old women are lying in front of TVs watching Jimmy Swagger 24 hours a day talking about they're going to be healed. And those ministers, they ain't visiting nursing homes. They ain't going to the hospital because that hocus pocus abracadabra don't work. It don't work. Ah, you get quiet. Or it ain't working. We are confident of this very thing. If we ask anything according to his will, that is what God will do. He's not obligated to do what we want him to do. But if you abide in him and his words abide in you, sometimes God will give you an unction and you can say you will be healed in that person because it's lined up with the will of God. They will be healed. God is still yet healing. Let's not force God to do something when he has a better plan. There's something greater than healing. It's called wholeness. The woman who had the issue of blood, Jesus, she was healed of her issue of blood. But Jesus now adds to her when she acknowledges, it was me who touched you. He said, your faith has made you whole. Satan don't care about your healing. He don't want you to be whole. You can get your face lifted, your body augmented, but still think messed up. You need to be whole. Kindness is personal, it's particular. Kindness is private. It focuses on, it does not focus on payback, but rather paying forward. Oh, man. I get the greatest joy out of helping people reach their full potential in Christ. To watch people growing. Because when you grow, guess what? You're going to bless others from what you have received. You can now give. That's what it, that, this whole idea of paying it for, it ain't nothing new. The Bible's been teaching that since the very beginning of time. Be a blessing so that those who you bless will bless others. It's private. You're not waiting for the payback. You're paying forward. You invest in your children to pay it forward so that they will invest in their children and in their children's children. Amen. Kindness. It pleases God. The Bible says, blessed are they who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's what kindness is. It's giving people what they don't deserve. That's what mercy is, giving people what they don't deserve. That person that's giving you hell, taking them breakfast, speaking to them before they speak to you, without expecting them to return in what you did in kind. It's making that husband your best meal, his best meal. You tired, you worked all day. But you know, this he, he was waiting for this. You already promised it. And you go through with what you said. And God will bless you because you're sowing the seed in your husband that he will, re it will be returned in a hundredfold. Oh, a hundred dollars? No, I'm not saying money. <laughs> Kindness pleases God. God says, blessed are they who show mercy because you're going to get it back. Yeah. Kindness finally waits patiently for God's rewards. And you will be blessed. That's what the scripture says. Because they cannot repay you. They cannot repay you. 
people that are having alleyway life experience, they cannot repay you. And I'm not talking about all these jokers that are sitting in front of Wawa's that you got to give. No, you, that's a drug addiction. We're not feeding drug addicts money. We might buy them food. But instead of hustling to get drugs, they need to be hustling to get a job. But I'm talking about those who genuinely have need. You can't ignore it. So they patiently wait on God's reward. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Be not weary in well-doing. For you shall what reap a harvest of blessing if you faint not. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. I can remember times in my life when I royally blew it. My Bible scholar friends, no calls, no visits. But the people who understood what it meant to be in the alley, sleeping on glass, people who understood what it meant to make bad choices, I, re I still remember them. I remember their acts of kindness. I want you to understand, I don't stand in this pulpit on my own strength. I'm standing on the shoulders of people who were kind enough to me when I didn't even know they were being kind. I thought I deserved it. And got mad when I didn't get it. But they, they continue to express to me in tangible ways the love of God through kindness. Take me to the hour. I want you to listen as we close today at this video. Hello, this is Gregory Porter. Turn the light on. This is Take Me to the Alley, one mic, 